Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Hey everybody, my name is Zach, and this is The Delivered, a podcast for Christ Redeemed. So, let's dig in. Alright, so a little bit of business before we get into Daniel chapter 6. This is the last of the historical side of Daniel. Now we're going to be getting into the prophetic side, 7 through 12. And I want to take time to actually go through these. 7 is really, really good, and they just keep getting better and deeper. And I want to make sure that I rightly divide God's word. With that said, what I'm going to do is I think I'm going to go ahead and release uh, 7 here in a couple weeks. Uh, Maybe 8 as well, I don't know. But the last 3... I'm going to spend some time getting to know them more before I release them. Um, So I'm still going to be releasing material. I have an episode coming up on Paul the Apostle. We're going to get into him and uh, some of his missionary journeys and work that he did, his conversion, um, B.C., C., and A.C., (laughs) before Christ, Christ, and then after Christ, as well as... Uh, we're going to be digging into First and Second Thessalonians, and I want to make sure that I divide those as well. So I'm going to try to pace myself and learn this material, because when I teach it to my wife, when I teach it to Sunday school, and when I do it here on the podcast, I want to make sure that everything is edifying, that it's doctrinally sound, and that I'm not teaching error. Um, so I will take the time to get to know these last three or four prophetic books um, chapters really deeply before I release them so stay tuned because they're coming they'll probably they will probably be released as bonus episodes so hang out and be on the lookout for those now uh, let's go ahead and start getting ready for chapter six what say ye all right y'all Daniel chapter 6. We've got jealousy. We've got envy. We've got lies, deceits, some decrees going on here. And a whole lot of angry, hungry lions. So chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps could give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. So this is Darius now. We've, we're past Belshazzar. He's out of the picture. Now we're at Darius. So remember, Belshazzar was killed that night. The Persian Mede Empire took over. That's where we're at now. Daniel is no longer a Babylonian. Welcome to Persianhood, brother. So Darius sets 120 satraps over the whole kingdom. 
And these guys were governors of provinces, essentially. And what they would do is they would ensure that there were no um, security breaches, there were no uh, lack of tithes and taxes paid to the king. You know, you have to pay your fair share. Uncle Uncle Ser- Uncle Sarius, Uncle Sam Darius here, he wants his share too. Uh, there were also three high officials, overall 120 of them. So they were divided between these three men. And these officials would ensure the integrity of the 120 satraps who would ensure the integrity of the people. Verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to sit him over the whole kingdom. So here we have Daniel coming back into play here. Yes, he's distinguished above all officials because he is of God's kingdom. He's going to look different. He's going to walk different. He's going to act different. He has integrity. He has faithfulness. He has honor. He is distinguished above all others yet again, just like in the very first chapter. And in fact, Darius was going to set him over everything. Then the king in verse four, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for uh, complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. This man was, he, he had the most integrity out of anybody these people had ever seen, probably. This man, he was the ideal Jew. In fact, after this book was written and published um, throughout the whole of the Israelites and the Jewish camps, they used Daniel as their pinnacle of manhood. This is what a man should be. Daniel is what a man should be. We should also understand that Daniel is a type and shadow of Christ. We'll see that more deeply here at the end of the chapter. Verse 5, Then those men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Daniel had unwavering faith in God. They knew that. They knew what kind of integrity this man had. And they knew that the only way they were going to get him out of his office was by him breaking the law of his God. Let's test these waters. Daniel is in his 80s at this point. If you'll look back and recall in in chapter 1, as well as chapter 4, bow before the statue, eat from the king's table. All you have to do is worship my God along with your... Over and over and over, Daniel is put in a position of compromise. Over and over. Now, he's 80 years old. Keep that in mind. When when we first meet Daniel in chapter 1, he's in his late teens, early 20s. Young, impressionable, yet he still won't compromise. Do you think this man in his 80s is going to compromise? I'm guessing that these satraps forgot what kind of man Daniel was. Interpreting these dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar. Interpreting the handwriting for Belshazzar. Refusing to bow down to another god because he's going to continue praying instead. Pray to the king? No, I'll pray to my king. This is the man we're looking at here. 
And of course, they understand they're not going to find any any ground for fault in this man unless they convince him to break the law of his God, which they know he won't do. So therein will be the fault. Knowing his integrity to uphold the law of God will mean he will have to break man's law. Mm. Now we're getting into some deep stuff, huh? Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. All the high officials of the kingdom, they said. They're speaking for everybody. Everybody's in agreement with this idea, Darius. Everybody agrees with it. You don't have to go out and take a vote. We'll, we'll just proxy everybody on in. So the king stood should establish an ordinance. The king's going to make a decree, but then they followed up with another thing and enforce an injunction. So not only, Darius, are you going to make this decree, but we need you to enforce it too. But the way that they don't command him to do these things, they say the king should. We have an idea. We, the king should. Look at the flattery that's coming up. That whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. <clears throat> whoever prays to any other being <clears throat> any other thing in existence other than King Darius will be thrown into a den of lions. What is the deal with people being violent? Everybody's just violent. <clears throat> Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So they presented him with flattery. No one is going to parade anybody. This is what we think you should do. So do it. Of course, he's all wrapped up in himself and just all, you know, beside himself in a good way this time. <clears throat> and then they make a very good point. The law of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed. And that's important to note because they don't want people showing partiality. Oh, now we're getting fun. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So he signs them. Now they're in effect. These 120 satraps and high officials and everything else got what they wanted. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. When Daniel knew he wasn't even there. He couldn't give a defense or an argument or a polemic against this terrible idea. 
He wasn't there. So when he finds out, I don't know if a official told him or if he heard it from one of the three buddies who find themselves in these similar positions all the time, but they heard it. Daniel finally got the news. And what does he do? He doesn't go storming into the Capitol. He doesn't go <clears throat> raising Cain, taking up arms against the king. His knee-jerk reaction, he goes home. He goes into the top part of his house and opens his window toward Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, for the same reason that a lot of the, the temples were, or the tabernacles were built with their doors facing Jerusalem, because they were in exile. They prayed toward Jerusalem because they trusted that God would fulfill his promise and bring them back home from this exile. Have you ever moved across the country, maybe to Colorado like I did? And sometimes you find yourself looking east, thinking my home's that way. It's the same effect here. He got down on his knees. That's another important tidbit of information because it shows that Daniel recognized his place before God. No, it's not a requirement for you to kneel when you pray. But his humility is so strong and sure and founded that he did it out of sheer and utter respect for his God and his king. And he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He didn't open his window and pray. He knew people were going to see him. He didn't open his window and pray out of rebellion as he had done previously, means that this was something he had already been doing and he was bound and determined to keep doing it. Compromise, Daniel, just compromise, right? No. Unyielding compromise. You stop for no one. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Sit in that jail. 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they saw him. They saw him doing it. They had their witnesses now. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction? That anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. They're not concerned about the ordinance. That's key here. Their concern is not the ordinance, but the injunction. They don't care about the law being broke. They just want him dead. They want him out of their way. Then the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Yes, I signed this injunction. No, it cannot be revoked. Verse 13, Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, 
who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. The word exile, <clears throat> the word exile here, shows that there's still some ethnic tension. These weren't brand new exiles. They were three and four generations in now. They'd been there for a while. But they're saying he, he doesn't pay attention to you. He doesn't respect you. He doesn't care what you have to say. He doesn't submit to you. Or, and get this again, not the ordinance, but the injunction. He's not even scared of these lions you're threatening, you're threatening him with. But he makes his petition three times a day to his God. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Oh, man. What have you done, Darius? What have you done? Daniel is a trusted official. One of the, he was going to send him over the entirety of Babylon. Then he hears this. Well, what am I going to do? Let me find a way to get Daniel out of this. He respected Daniel. He liked Daniel. He trusted Daniel. He knew that Daniel wasn't doing this to disrespect him. He understood that. But what's he going to do? Verse 15. Then these men... The, the officials again, came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes shall be changed. Quit stalling. You're worse than the Chaldeans and magicians and astrologers. Stalin when Nebuchadnezzar told him to interpret the dream and tell him the dream and then interpret the dream. Come on, Darius, you sign the injunction. We gave you the name. Come on now. Verse 18. 16, I'm sorry. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. I hear this in my head as a very dramatic cry for help. No, Darius was not acknowledging a knowledge of God. He didn't know God. He didn't care in that sense. He wasn't saved is what I'm getting at. But he said, may your God deliver you. He did not want Daniel in this predicament, but he had to do it. He had to follow the law. Unlike Daniel... I mean, technically speaking, Daniel broke the law. And yet Darius still wanted to deliver him from this injunction. So after this, in verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed according to Daniel. Let it be done. Is what the king here is saying. Let it be done. 
They sealed it with a signet ring, and that's to show anybody that walks by that this is official royal court business. Do not mess with it or you will die. And Daniel knew that if he were to try to get out of that, they would kill him too. This is a hopeless situation. You're throwing an 80-year-old man in a den of lions that are hungry. The reason they had these lions in the den anyway, it wasn't as a form of punishment. At this, this, this particular culture, at this particular time, would trap lions and they would put them in these dens and then they would hunt them for sport later. But of course, they're sitting around going, you know what? I have an idea what we can do with this guy. Let's throw him in there. See what happens. An 80-year-old man. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. So the king goes home that night. And he fasted. He didn't fast out of religious conviction. He fasted because he couldn't eat. He was sick to his stomach. He was sick of what he had done. He, he, didn't, have, he didn't even try to distract himself from his guilt. He let his guilt swallow him whole. They didn't bring in musicians to play some songs to lull him to sleep. No, he waited all night. All night. He couldn't sleep. And then at the break of day, he gets up and he runs to the den of lions. The king arose. He didn't send a messenger down to the den to check on Daniel. He didn't send one of the officials to check on Daniel. No, Darius himself stood up Walk down to the den in haste. Verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. He didn't know if Daniel was still alive. He didn't think he was. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Wow, what a response from a man who had been cast into a den of lions because of a selfish ordinance and its injunction that followed. He didn't ignore Darius. He didn't give him the cold shoulder because he was a man of integrity and he knew that Darius was doing by the law. The same thing Daniel was doing. He understood Darius was unconverted. He understood Darius was only acting according to what he knew to be the truth, even though his truth was a lie. You can't fault a cow for eating grass. You can't fault a lion for hunting a zebra, as Dr. Thomas Durant would say. And you cannot fault a heathen, a pagan, unregenerate, godless man for acting according to his nature. O king, live forever. Wow, what a response. Verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut 
the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. My God. Yahweh has delivered me. Jehovah has delivered me. Elohim has delivered me. The great I am was there. How great of a God do we serve? Wow. There's some correlation here. It's what's called a chiasm. I'm not going to get into what a chiasm is. C-H-I-A-S-M. John MacArthur has a good explanation on it. Vody Bauckham has a great explanation on uh, his sermon on Daniel 7. <clears throat> they both paint really good pictures. But this points right back to the fiery furnace. Where God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that furnace. Christ was there in that furnace with them. God with his people. And yet they didn't even smell like smoke. Think about that. Daniel, this 80-year-old old man comes up out of this den fine not a scratch on him the mouths were shut i wonder if he would pet the lines that would be the thing i wonder if he pet if he had the chance to pet a lion down there my great grandfather is still alive um thank god 87 years old and he hardly walks on his own half the time i can't talk can't cook for himself can't dress himself half the time. He's an old man, wearing down from years. But look at Daniel, close to the same age as my great-grandfather. Not only did he get down on his knees three times a day and pray, but now he's in a lion's den and he's fine, coming back out. But then he goes on to say something else. He was found blameless before him, before God. God found no fault in him. And then he goes on further. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. I haven't done anything to warrant the death penalty. I haven't done anything to cross you like that. Verse 23, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Trust in God. Always, beloved, trust in God. Our currency in this country says it. Some license plates say it. Yet our morality speaks different. We're Jewish exiles in a Babylonian kingdom in some aspects, in that note. Trust in God. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought 
and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in places. In pieces, sorry. The king commanded. Now this was not, when he pulled Daniel out, he was not violating the Persian Mede law. No. He had, he had followed the law to suit. He had completed the ordinance. He had cast Daniel into the den of lions. The ordinance didn't say until he was dead. It just said you had to do it. So he did it. And then he turns his attention to the officials. And oh, them lions were going to eat good, I tell you. He turns his attention to these officials. And he says, all of them, put them in that den. Them, their children, and their wives. Is that harsh? Maybe. But obviously it was just in their court. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. What a way to end a chapter. And what a way to end an episode. What a mighty God Daniel served. And let me tell you, folks, this God is the same God we serve. If you have been delivered, if you have been redeemed in the blood of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit, then this same God is the God who you pray to when you pray. Is the same God whom you recognize by taking the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Is the same God, the same Christ, who you are baptized with and raised from the dead with in baptism. And speaking of that Christ, I want to point something out. Remember when I told you that Daniel was a type and shadow of Christ? Well, look at him coming out of death in the lion's den. Look at that. Sure death. And yet death couldn't hold him there. Death had no dominion over Daniel in that den, just as it had no dominion over Christ in that tomb. After that cross. This is a type and shadow of Christ raising from the dead after his death on the cross, conquering that. And after this, after all this, verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And he's still prospering. The most powerful and influential of all of the prophets is still prospering after this. Darius was so impressed with God's work that he responded the only way he knows how. Fear and trembling. And he commanded his people to fear and tremble too before God. 
So let's, some conclusions real quick, some inferences. All should tremble before this holy God. That includes me, and that includes you. We should work out our faith with fear and trembling. Two, God is always with his people. Always. He never leaves nor forsakes his people. Three, our job is to glorify God. And he will act in the same manner. Our job is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, Question 1. What is the chief end of man? The answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And at the same time, realize this, O Christian, that God is sovereign. You exist for his purposes. You exist for his will. You exist to glorify him. And God will also glorify himself. God glorified himself with miracles and wonders and getting Daniel out of that den, saving his life in that den. But he also brought glory to himself because those officials got their just recompense. They judged Daniel, and they were measured with the same scale. But they were found wanting. Number four, do not compromise. Obey your God. Obey his commandments. Uphold morality and integrity. Be a man or a woman of honor. Someone that people can trust. Someone that God looks down with favor. Jonathan Edwards once resolved to be the most godly man alive. That may sound prideful on the cuff of things, but think about that. Would you rather be the least godly man alive or the most godly man alive? For sake of God, for sake of my wife, for sake of my church and my job, I would love to be the most godly man alive, the most consistent Christian alive at least. Do not compromise. You exist to bring glory to God. Do not compromise. If Christ has redeemed you, if God has delivered you from the clutches of sin and death, do not compromise. Obey God. I'm going to close this thing down now. I know it's a longer episode, but I told you I wanted to start making them a little longer so I could go a little deeper in depth with y'all. Polycarp was brought before the Roman emperor. At this time in, in Roman history, they considered the Christians atheists because they denied the Roman gods, the Roman pantheon. They wouldn't pray to them. They wouldn't worship them. So the, so the Romans considered Christians atheists. So they bring Polycarp, this 80-some-odd-year-old man, again, a man in his 80s, before the Roman emperor on charges of atheism. Of course, the emperor, he doesn't want to kill an old man. It would look bad. He doesn't want to be the, he doesn't want to be the kind of guy that does that. So instead, what he does is he says, I'll tell you what, Polycarp. All you have to do is say, away with the atheists. That's it. 
So Polycarp responds and says, that's all I have to say. So is the way Sproul, R.C. Sproul puts it, and he imagines he looks up into the stands and he says, okay. Away with you atheists. Because <laughs> he considered them the atheists, denying God. And in the process, he looks up to the emperor and he says, these 80 and six years, I have served my Lord and my king and he's never failed me. He's never left me. Why should I leave him now? And Polycarp was martyred for his faith. See, you don't always get delivered from a den of lions. But God's still with you. Keep that in mind. And until the next episode. Please remember, God is sovereign and you are not. Thank you.